Greetings, this is a message from our series on the book of Matthew, entitled The King from Heaven, and today's message is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, and I'm entitled the message, Jesus Said, I Am Willing. And so, this is a um, series that's from the book of Matthew, and the, the reason we call it The King from Heaven is because of the kingly theme throughout the book. Matthew chapter 2 starts out with uh, Jesus after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is, of course, the city of David, the King David, and he's a descendant of King David. In the city of Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so from the very beginning of the story of Jesus, we've been promised that this one is going to come, He's going to be God with us, and the Magi recognize that he is the king of the Jews, the descendant of David. The God revealed to them somehow that the star was an indication of this fact. And then later, as the child grows and he becomes a man, um, the, the text tells us in chapter 3 that in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so John the Baptist is speaking about this coming king, this kingdom that is from heaven and that uh, Jesus is his representatives. And then in chapter 4, we see Jesus gets baptized by John and he is driven into the desert and tempted by Satan. And when he returns, then Jesus says from that time on, the text tells us from that time on, Jesus began to preach the exact same words as John the Baptist, for repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus' ministry now is a sequence between, uh, it alternates between, uh, in the book of Matthew, it, alter, it alternates between accounts of his works, his deeds, his healing powers, and his teaching. If you'll notice in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So part of his ministry was teaching and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So Jesus is teaching and healing, teaching and healing, and teaching and demonstrating his power so that we would recognize who he is, that he is the king from heaven, and that we would recognize that he has proven this, that he is the king from heaven by the power that he um, has over illnesses, over demons, and over even nature itself. So this is the king that came from heaven. So just now we've finished one of the big rounds of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear the king of heaven talking about the, what's sort of the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and he says, you know, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And um, he prays, he teaches us how to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Again, kingdom mentality. And then he tells us to seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be added so we don't need to worry about life. And then he says at the end of time, many will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do many works in your name? And, he, and he'll say, I never knew you, depart from me. And so you don't get to come into my kingdom. And so Jesus says, not all who do what, who say, Lord, Lord, are going to enter my kingdom. And so there's this king is telling us about his kingdom work. So we just finished the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, um, after he's done, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. 
So even his hearers recognized that Jesus was speaking with authority, and he was speaking as a powerful king, a witness from God above. So today we start now in chapter 8, a, uh, another sequence in the events of his life, the acts and the works. There's, of course, uh, words that he says, but they're couched now in narratives rather than in a body of teaching. So let's pray and ask God to help as we understand the first four verses of chapter 8. Father in heaven, please help us do a good job to understand what Jesus is all about, to see his work, and to understand what it means for us. Help us to understand your word, because it testifies to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, let me read Matthew 8, 1-4 for us. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, so just finishes Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So in our outline for today, the first point I'd like to make is that uh, this story is a reminder of the curse of leprosy. The curse of leprosy. In the Old Testament, we have this text in Leviticus 13. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, that phrase defiling skin disease is sometimes translated as leprosy, um, you realize that not every time that that word is used is it speaking about the technical form of the disease leprosy that we know today. There are many skin diseases that fall under one category. Uh, the actual uh, leprosy that we know is a subset or a, a particular one of the skin diseases. Uh, but leprosy or skin disease has always been associated with uncleanness or sin throughout the Bible, and there's many stories about that. So in this text here, it's telling the Levitican, the Levitical priest, that if anyone has a shiny spot on their skin that may be one of these diseases, a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons who is a priest. Anyone, so then later in, um, in the same chapter, and by the way, I skipped over a bunch of verses, and it gets kind of gross actually explaining all of the variations of the skin disease. But at the end it says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. And so if you are one of the ones who has this defiling disease, a, a leprous condition, you have to wear clothes that are torn and your hair is a mess on purpose to show people so that they can recognize what you are. And you have to cover your face, the lower part of your face. Um, and you have to cry out, unclean, unclean. If anyone gets close to you, you have to say, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, to protect others from your disease. And as long as you have this disease, you, have to, you are unclean and you have to live alone. 
outside the camp. There's no fellowship with the people. There's no coming to God's place for worship. You're outsider. Then in Numbers chapter 5, it says, The Lord told Moses, Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defilement, skin disease, or a discharge of any kind, or who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. So any kind of uncleanness has to be sent away. Send away male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell among them. So God is holy and he says they cannot defile the camp. In other words, in Leviticus chapter 5, if anyone unwittingly touches anything ceremonially unclean, whether the carcass of an unclean animal, wild or domestic, or if any unclean creature that moves along the ground, and if they are unaware that they have become unclean, but then they come to realize their guilt, right? So you can unwittingly touch something unclean, not be aware of it, but then realize it. You are still guilty. You realize your guilt. Or if they touch a human uncleanness or anything that would make them unclean. So if you touched a leper or any person or a thing that made you unclean, even though you were unaware of it, but then you learn of it and realize their guilt. When you discover it, even then, even though it was accidental, when anyone realizes their guilt in any of these matters, they must confess in what way they have sinned. And as a penalty for their sin, they have it committed. So they must confess in what way they have sinned. And, and as a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or a goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin. And so to touch something unclean, even if you did it accidentally, would be a sin that required you to have a sacrifice to have your sin atoned for, to pay for the sin, to pay the debt of your offense. <coughs> in, the number, in Numbers chapter 19, it says, Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean. So if a leprous person touches a pot, then that pot becomes unclean. But then it also says that anyone who touches it becomes unclean as well. So if an unclean person touches a pot and then someone else touches that pot, then that pot makes them unclean at least until evening. So the point here is this is a summary verse. The point is, is that when something is unclean, whatever it touches gets unclean as well. The uncleanness transfers from the unclean to the clean. If you have a, a, a bucket of clean water and a bucket of dirty water, and you pour some of the water together, the dirty water wins. Both uh, become unclean. The clean does not make the unclean clean. It's the other way around. The unclean defiles and makes the clean unclean. That's the way it works. So that's the curse of leprosy. That's what real life is like. And in the Bible, leprosy has been uh, often associated with sin, and, and the whole forgiveness of sin is regarded as a cleansing process. And, and we have the story of Miriam and the leper. We have the story of uh, Elisha. In that same story, Elisha's servant Gehazi gets Naaman's leprosy. There's the uh, leprosy that became a curse on King Uzziah because of his uh, messing around with the wrong, uh, he tried to do a priestly duty even though he was not a priest. There's the case where Miriam, which was uh, Moses' sister, where she was leprous as snow because of her offense against God. 
and she had to be outside the camp for seven days because of it, even though God healed her leprosy. And so leprosy and skin disease was an outward manifestation. It was symbolic of a far greater uncleanness and a more ubiquitous uncleanness, and that is the evil and sin of the heart. You see, only a few people might actually have leprosy, but everybody has a leprous heart. And it's just a matter of, uh, of um, visibility that we don't see one another's evil sin. So leprosy is symbolic and representative of sin. But an, even if it, the person is not a sinner, the having leprosy, having a skin disease, curses you to this life outside the camp. Unclean, unclean. And whatever you touch becomes unclean. Nothing can make you clean. The next point in this message is the truth of Jesus. You see, somehow or another, this man knew who Jesus was because he can walk up to him and say, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And so the truth of Jesus that we know so far is that in chapter 4, we learn that he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So before the Sermon on the Mount, he had a reputation already. News about him was going all over the place. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And so all kinds of illnesses and various diseases were healed, healed by Jesus. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know if this man heard about it or heard when, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so this leprous man somehow knew that Jesus would see the poor in spirit. And he understood Jesus' economy. When he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the us Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet when he sees this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven of heaven. He has an inkling, he has an understanding of who Jesus is and that there's good news about the kingdom and that it can be received even by someone who has nothing to offer, someone who is broken, someone who is poor in spirit, who is in poverty. And so when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds were following him and this descent of Jesus from the mountain, you could almost... Um, I don't know, I suppose it's an analogy of the very fact that Jesus came down from heaven at all, right? The fact that Jesus is here, he came down, he came down from heaven as a baby and lived a perfect life, and he speaks the words of truth. And so we know about him and who he is, and that he's approachable and safe. And so in that same sense, this man knew the truth of Jesus. So he had the curse of leprosy, but he also knew the truth of what Jesus was saying. And so he had faith. And so this is the third point in my message is the faith of the leper. The faith of the leper. What is it that he believed? Look what he says. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. So he didn't shout or, or anything, grab onto Jesus. He just knelt before him and said, Lord, which is you know obviously referring to Jesus as master, Lord, King, uh, Master, Ruler, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So what an amazing statement. There's, there's two things. He, he recognized that Jesus had a free choice to be willing or not. 
but he also knew enough about Jesus that if Jesus wanted to, he could do anything, including making him clean. And so he he didn't say, make me clean. He didn't say, I you have to make me clean. He yielded to the will of Jesus, but he asked and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So he presented himself to Jesus in faith. He trusted what Jesus could do. He knew, he didn't, and this is interesting here. I don't want you to um, misunderstand and think that he just could believe that he would be healed, and that's how he got healed. And so Jesus is walking around looking for people who have enough faith that they can be healed so that Jesus can leverage that faith that already exists in them and then heal them. No, this man did not have faith in his ability to believe. It was not his belief that was what saving him. It was his belief in Jesus that was the means through which he would be clean. He said to a person, Lord, if you are willing, if you have a relationship, if you will look on me with grace, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, it's not my faith that can do it. You can do it, and I'm trusting you. Do you see? The faith is not in faith. The faith is in the one trusted, and so that is Jesus. So the faith of the leper is evident. He sees what Jesus' truth is. He knows enough, and God has made it clear here to him enough that Jesus has the ability. And then we get to see, my fourth point, the grace of Jesus. This is the fact that Jesus is not obligated to do anything. He is operating under grace, and that his grace is abundant. Look what he says. Look what he does. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now that right there violates all of those texts we already read in the Old Testament. For Jesus to touch an unclean thing would have made Jesus unclean. That's the way it works. When you wash your car, the car gets clean, but the rags get dirty. The means through which the cleaning happens gets dirty. When you wash your hands or when you wash anything in water, what gets dirty? The water gets dirty. It, it's the way it works. And and in the, there's this a transfer of um, clean to dirt that... Uh, only happens when the dirt is absorbed by the other object. And so there's nothing that can touch anything that doesn't itself get dirty. You can't clean anything without making something, the cleaning instrument itself, somehow dirty. When you wipe something, the rag gets dirty. I, uh, it reminds me a little bit of a, uh, a Dilbert comic that I saw one time um, where uh, Wally, I think it was, was making comments that the... Um, after his shower, he said, I'm the cleanest thing in the whole house. And so every time I get out of the shower, I, I dry myself off with my towel. So I'm just making my towel cleaner and cleaner. So I never need to wash my towel because I'm the cleanest thing in the house. And I rub all my cleanness off on the towel. And, the, and his co-worker, you know, she gags at the thought of this stiff and rotting towel in the corner of Wally's room getting worse and worse and worse. You see, Wally's cleanness wasn't making the towel cleaner. That's not how it works. But here Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man, and he himself does not get dirty. He does not become unclean. There's something about the power of Jesus 
the one-way flow of giving, the fact that Jesus doesn't need anything, that he's self-existent, he's self-reliant, he's, he's in identically holy, he's, it's part of his identity, he flows out all of the cleanness. It's like the um, quicker picker-upper works the other way. You know how when you see the advertisement and they, they have a spill and they put the paper towel on the water and, and it quickly absorbs close, but then the rate of absorption slows down as the wicking gets farther and farther away from the, uh, the source of the water. And it, it's like a, an explosion. It starts fast and gets and then slows down and eventually the paper towel absorbs all the water. It's like that in this, I'm imagining this kind of thing, but it's the opposite direction. It's not the water that flows into the napkin. It's not the, the, the paper towel getting dirty from what's there. It's the clean from Jesus flows into the man. It's the other way around. Jesus is not diminished. This is what grace is like. God is an infinite giver. And of his nature, he's self-reliant. There is no um, dim, uh, diminishing aspect to his character. He can't give away love and have less at the end. He's, he's not just big like the sun that seems to not burn out because the, the sun is actually losing mass as it, as it burns up. But no, Jesus doesn't gain mass nor lose mass. He's infinite and powerful and gives and gives and gives. And so he touches this man. And the man becomes clean. And Jesus does not get unclean. Phenomenal. Unexpected. Unbelievable. And breaks all of the expectations. And then Jesus also says, I am willing. What a gracious statement. I do want you to be clean. I am willing, he said. And then he said the word, be clean. And the words that he said, his speech, his, his power is manifested. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Every part of that man's body was made perfectly whole. There was not one uh, spot of skin disease remaining on him. And so he was clean. Jesus did immediately. And Jesus didn't have to, you know, go and get himself un, uh, cleaned up or have a day of uncleanness. Jesus made him clean, and he did not get diminished. So that's the grace of Jesus. He doesn't have to, but he does. And when he does, it's unlimited. It's unstoppable, and there's no... Uh, exchange. The the uncleanness of the man doesn't come on to Jesus. No, it's all one way. All of Jesus' cleanness goes into the man and he becomes a clean person. But then let's look at the gospel message. Because Jesus wants the good news of the kingdom to be spread and he wants everyone to understand. And so he, he tells this man, he says, Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. I want you to not tell everybody what's happened here. He says, but I want you to go and show yourself to the priest. Remember how we read about you're supposed to show yourself to the priest and he'll decide all these things. And then offer the gift that Moses commanded and do this as a testimony to them. I want the priest to see what happened to you so that they know who I am, that they know that I have the power to make you clean. And ultimately we understand that Jesus is saying, that I want them to see that I have the power to forgive sins. And so what is this uh, offering that Moses had commanded? I'm glad you asked. In Leviticus chapter 14, 
It says, The Lord said to Moses, These are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of the ceremonial cleansing when they are brought to the priest. The priest is to go out. So this is when they've been cleaned up. When, when a person that used to be unclean is now finally healed of their uh, disease, when they're clean at their time of their ceremonial cleansing, this is what they're supposed to do. And so this begins a description of several steps. Um, we're going to talk about the first step, and then there's another step eight days later and all that stuff. But here's the first step. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been healed of the defiling skin disease, the leprosy, the priest shall order that two live, clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and a hyssop, which is a, a branch, a, a thorny branch kind of, be brought for the person to be cleansed. And so we bring all these materials, two birds, some wood, and some yarn, and some hyssop for the person to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. So they kill the bird by, uh, and then the blood of the bird is not a lot of bird, it's a little bird, but it goes into the water, so the water is bloody, so there's a lot of water that's bloody then. And so the bird be killed over the fresh water in a clay pot, and he's then to take the live bird, so the, the other bird that's not dead, right, and dip it with the cedar wood, and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. So this live bird gets dipped in, and all of the other ingredients, the wood, the yarn, and the hyssop are all dipped in. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease, and then pronounce them clean. So they take this material and they sprinkle it over the person that's now of is clean, they've been cleansed of the defined disease and pronounce them clean. And so the seven dips reminds you of the the seven dips in the river of, of Naaman. Remember how that all worked? And then after that, he is to release the live bird into the open fields. So this live bird that has the bloody water and of the um, of the dead bird on its wings and stuff flies off into the desert and, and is freed away. And I, I don't know what happens to the wood or the yarn or the hyssop. I don't know if the person gets to keep those or what. But that's all part of this procedure. And so the gospel message is there. What happens is that somehow the, the two birds are there and the guilt of the person is transferred to the one who is dead or to the one who will be killed, the bird that is killed. The bird is punished and, re, and atones for the death the, the sin of the person, and then the other one is freed as a clean and new life. And so it represents the, both the, the atonement for sin and the freedom now that exists in the cleanness. Need to see Jesus here. Need to recognize something. Remember how it was that Jesus could touch the, touch the man and not become dirty, and the man became clean? That same ability for Jesus to transfer his grace infinitely into the life of the unclean and make them clean is also, ironically, the same ability that Jesus has to absorb all of the guilt of the sins of the whole world in his person. You see, when Jesus is, is brought to the cross and when he is rejected by the Father and the Bible tells us that he who knew no sin 
became sin for us. And so Jesus bore in his body the penalty for all the sin. And God himself regarded Jesus as accursed. And he was hung on a tree. And that, and he was put in outer darkness. And there was no relief for his soul. Jesus, God didn't hold Jesus' hand through this terrible suffering. As a matter of fact, God rejected Jesus because he turned away from the sin that was now being born by Jesus. And so um, Jesus would call out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus absorbs in his body and experiences in his person all of the guilt of the real curse of our sin. All of our leprosy, all of our uncleanness is truly on him. And he's experiencing it all. And so he who knew no sin, his conscience was never torn with guilt, is now becoming a guilt offering. And he's receiving all of the agony. The same ability that he had to touch the leper without becoming unclean is now completely reversed. And all of the uncleanness of all of the lepers, of all of us lepers, is being poured onto him. And he is, as it were, outside the camp saying, unclean unclean. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm unclean. I'm unclean. He bears the penalty for our sin. He atones. He pays the price that is the just punishment for all of our sin. You and I deserve to be there dying, and yet he took what we deserve. And by so doing, he purchases for us the right to be righteous and gracious. He's able to now give us his grace to touch us, the unclean ones, and wash away all of our sin and absorb it all. You see, really, the reason he was able to touch that leper and never become unclean was because he had already absorbed all of the uncleanness of all of the sins of all the people of all history. It would have going to happen soon. And in his life, he absorbed and paid all those things. And so Jesus is able to touch anyone and make them clean because he's already absorbed all the uncleanness that there is. The gospel message is really simple when you think about it. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to whoops, I went the wrong way. The gospel message. You and I are sinners. We are unclean. But Jesus atones for our sin, our uncleanness. He pays for it like the bird that dies. And he pays for us outside the camp. Unclean, unclean. In Jesus, because of that work, if we trust in Jesus, we are made holy. We are made clean. Our sins are washed away. And because of that, that bird can fly away and tell everybody of the joy of being clean. Jesus rose from the dead, and he, he lives forevermore, and we will live in the name of him forever in the kingdom. And so our new life is a testimony of his grace. So those four things of the gospel again. You and I are sinners. We're unclean. Jesus atones for our sin, our uncleanness, outside the camp. And he's taking the curse from God. He is unclean out there. And in Jesus, we are made holy. We are made clean if we trust in him. And our new life is a testimony of his grace. If that man went and told those priests and showed them what he did, they said, how were you made clean? And he said, I don't know. 
Jesus touched me and he did it. What a testimony. And so when somebody sees us and we're living a joyful life and we have poise, even though we've had terrible scars from our sin, when we know that we're forgiven and we have eternal life and they say, why are you so joyful? What's the hope that's in you? Why are you able to make it? What's, what's the deal? Why are you so kind in spite of the bitternesses? You can say, it's because Jesus touched us and made us clean. We are forgiven of our sins. I know I deserved, I know I deserve to be outside the camp, but Jesus made me clean and brought me in and made me his own family and made me his brother. What a testimony to those outside. Father in heaven, thank you for touching us when we're unclean. Thank you for dying on the cross, Jesus, to pay for all of our uncleanness so that you could do so. Thank you for forgiving us even now. You're you're faithful and you're justified to for, to cleanse away all of our unrighteousness. So if we sin, we can confess to you because you are still faithful to yourself. You're holy, but you're still just because you've paid for it already. And you can keep, keep on making us clean. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.